Welcome to the 10 Minute of Physiologist with Dr. Michael T. Cooper, a podcast focused on engaging culture in a New Testament manner. On today's podcast, a biblically informed worldview highlights the diversity of Christianity as it's expanded around the world among different cultures and people groups. Now, here's Dr. Cooper with more. Worldview is a concept that was coined by the Prussian philosopher in the 18th century, Immanuel Kant, that basically describes this notion of how we make sense of the things that are going on around us. In other places, I've argued that due primarily to multiple views of various theological beliefs, it's difficult to derive a monolithic biblical worldview or Christian worldview. In fact, it might be correctly stated that anyone propagating a monolithic biblical worldview is in reality propagating a sort of neo-colonialism where culture and ethnicity are expected to bend at the knee of a hegemonic and other culturally conditioned worldview. Instead, in Christianity, we rightly speak about a biblically informed worldview. A biblically informed worldview highlights the diversity of Christianity as it's expanded around the world among different cultures and people groups who give unique expressions to Christianity. Graham Cole rightly addresses the issue of a Christian worldview when he writes, quote, Christianity is first of all news of a person and his significance and not views about the world, yet it has definite views about the world as we have seen with big organizing ideas for thought such as God, Christ, creation, fall, rescue, and restoration. To put it in Eric Fromm's terms, Christianity does provide a frame of reference. This frame of reference then takes into account the ultimate questions Christianity addresses, but also permits answers to those questions to uniquely express themselves in culture and among people groups. It's a frame of reference with latitude in how cultures understand the Bible so that it has particular meaning for them. While the meaning of the text of Scripture as intended by the authors must be understood in their context, the first century context, it's the application that manifests itself differently among different people groups and in different cultures. For example, one culture's view of Church structure might be based on the manner in which they naturally organize patriarchal or matriarchal forms in societies, for example. While another culture's view might be based upon the practices of its government. For example, the congregational form that we see in North America, models of church that are based on a democracy where every congregant has a right to vote. While worldview makes up the various beliefs, values, and relationships in a society, it's influenced by at least three mediating factors, religion, ethnicity, and culture. Culture, ethnicity, and religion are salient features that contribute to the manner in which people make sense of events that are occurring in their worlds. Each feature addresses the questions of ultimate meaning as well as personal and social identity. They are deeply embedded in an individual and provide the framework of assumptions that are collectively held which govern social relations, thus offering cohesion and peace among groups of people. In other words, where a worldview is shared, there you will find a people who live at peace with each other. 
As such, I suggest that culture, ethnicity, and religion coalesce to form the framework from which people make sense of the phenomena happening around them. Each contributes in manners of degree to the way in which we perceive reality. Where we have competing worldviews vying for prominence, mutual understanding in those societies is difficult to achieve. So it's imperative in order to sustain the peace that worldviews are understood. When we understand worldview as a system of religion or beliefs and culture and ethnicity, we rightly then understand worldview to be about those systems of beliefs, but also about the way in which we enact those beliefs and how we belong together in a community. And so a part of worldview exegesis, that is the idea of understanding where people are coming from in their worldview, has to be focused around understanding their beliefs, their behaviors, and how they belong together. As we consider a biblically informed worldview, then we need to come to some consensus about what it is that we believe, what are the behaviors that are expected because of that belief, and what does it look like when we belong together. And as we'll see, while it might be difficult to arrive at a consensus of everything we believe or the way in which we enact all of our behaviors or what it looks like to belong together, there is definitely an idea that we can come away with that I call in a biblically informed worldview. There's no doubt that Christianity does offer a grand narrative that helps us make sense of the world. That narrative is based upon commonly held beliefs about who we are, what our purpose is, and what it will look like at the end. I like how St. Vincent of Lorenz summarizes these beliefs around the end of the 4th century going into the 5th century. He writes in his commentary a basic guide to help us to derive what is considered to be the consensus of the church. His principles of universality, antiquity, and consent are those that can govern us even today as we think about what it is that we have believed for all time, everywhere, and in all ways. He basically summarized this in, in this saying that we hold that faith which has been believed everywhere, always, and by all. And so what is that? Well, I can summarize it in this nice little chiastic tool that we all agree that we believe in one God who is the creator of the universe, that there are two revelations, a personal revelation and a propositional revelation. Sometimes we talk about this in terms of a special revelation and a general revelation, that there are three persons in the Godhead, the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That there are two promises, that we have the promise of the remission of sins and the resurrection to life because of the work of Jesus Christ. And there is one church, holy, universal, and apostolic. And yet we know that there are many other views that are secondary in nature to these principal views. And I like how Marco Antonio de Dominus writes about this when he says, in essence, unity in necessary things, freedom in doubtful things, and love in all things. 
And these certainly summarize the principle that should govern us as a faith. When we talk about some of these secondary issues, we might think of various views of God, the classical view or the free will view, or even open or missiological theism. We think of various theories of atonement or modes of baptism, believer's baptism, paedo-baptism, for example. We think of different views of the Eucharist. Is it symbolic or transubstantiation or consubstantiation? Different eschatological views are also secondary to these primary views of one God, uh, two revelations, uh, three persons, uh, two promises, and one church. Eschatology seems to take a second position to this. Views of whether or not we're premillennial, postmillennial, or amillennial. Creation as well. Do we hold a literal view of the creation, or is it an old earth view, or the gap theory? Even views of women are secondary, whether complementarian or egalitarian views. Tertiary views are those that are summarized by things such as uh, sprinkling or immersion in our modes of baptism, or the use of juice or wine, worship styles even, whether they're contemporary or classic, are tertiary in nature. And so in our beliefs, sometimes when we, when we drill down into secondary and tertiary issues, it's hard to find unity. But in the primary issues, there is unity of, of belief that has been believed for all time, everywhere, by everyone. When we think of behavior as being a part of our worldview, those cultural or social aspects that kind of govern the way in which we act with one another, certainly in Christianity, we can agree that there are meta behaviors. But there are also cultural behaviors where there is an openness to and a breadth to the way in which we live in various cultural constraints. In the Bible, for example, head coverings in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 11 is an example of a cultural expression of the church. Baptism for the dead, in fact, might also be one of those cultural behaviors that are unique to the expression of the Corinthian church. Women's wardrobe, for example, in 1 Peter. Again, something that is culturally expressed. In other cultures, we might think of worship on Saturday in Nepal, for example, or evangelicals celebrating Orthodox Easter in Romania, or meeting under a tree in Ghana, juice for communion in the United States, or the separation of women and men in churches in India. All of these give different cultural expressions to the way in which we enact our beliefs. And they're unique expressions that I suggest are a part of a biblically informed worldview in particular cultural contexts. This idea of cultural forms might be expressed in the Reformation axiom that the church reformed should always be reforming. That culture will impact the way in which the church expresses herself in various cultures. Third aspect of a worldview is how we understand belonging together. The Bible is very clear in its expression of what it means to be together, to be with one another. 
In fact, it's summarized in the Greek word for one another, which is used about a hundred times in the New Testament. 47 of those times are specific instructions for the church and how the church, the people of the church should interact with each other. 60% of those times are used by the Apostle Paul. And the major themes that we see emerging from these one another's in scripture are unity and love and humility. Certainly those are expectations of what it looks like for us to belong with each other. But in different cultures, among different people groups, the way in which those principles are expressed are going to be unique. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating. For more practical information about engaging culture, visit ephesiology.com. If you are ready to dive deeper, please consider one of our Ephesiology Masterclasses. Learn more at masterclasses.ephesiology.com. Until next time, this has been the 10-Minute Ephesiologist.